Good morning, church family. It's great to virtually join you this morning and to take you through today's Bible reading, which is from Luke 1, verses 68 through 79. Let's dive in. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Tim, thank you. What, a, what an amazing backdrop and what a beautiful shirt. Thank you for that reading. I want to start by asking us a question. You know, what is your favourite rescue story? What is your favourite one? With a film, book, what is your favourite rescue story? If you're like me, you'll love a rescue story. Yeah, I think my favourite is the story of The Matrix, which was a film and the main character was Neo, who basically at the end of the story discovers his true identity and takes on kind of superpowers and saves the world. A bit like Rey in the Star Wars trilogy, another great rescue story, you know, when she discovers her Jedi powers. But maybe more real to life, you know, I've loved the story of Nelson Mandela, you know, this catalyst for change in South Africa. Well, Israel, Israel had their own rescue story and they remember it so fondly still today. The story of the Exodus where God led his people through Moses out of oppression in Egypt. And when Jesus was born, Israel found themselves still under oppression, this time under the Roman Empire and longing for a second exodus, longing for a day when God would crush their enemies and bring them out of oppression. Well, we know that through the life of Jesus, God chooses to do it differently this time round. He sends his son to walk this earth with his people. Now, he does some amazing things. You know, Jesus performed signs and wonders and taught in wonderful, weird and mysterious ways. And he kind of accumulated a mass gathering of people who started to believe that this was the chosen one. This is God's son, the Messiah. But then Jesus was betrayed just as it was all looking so good. He is betrayed and he dies a painful death on the cross. But we also celebrated, didn't we, on Easter Sunday, that this was not the end, that death did not have its sting. No, life came good and Jesus was resurrected. He walked out of the tomb and he reappeared to his disciples and he said, yes, it is true. 
All that scripture long ago that told of the one like me, it is true. And it all just kind of made sense to disciples. All that doubt, all that questioning, suddenly they could see what it meant. And so Luke, he penned this gospel and he kind of told of angelic appearances and the miraculous with the virgin conception. And then we have this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the angel Gabriel has appeared to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they were barren. They couldn't have children, but he's told them that they will have a child and his name will be John. And we know that this child goes on to be John the Baptist. And just before he, he uh, kind of has this song that Tim read, John is born and Zechariah, I think, is moved by the spirit. He's overcome with a sense of love and the spirit kind of rises up this song and he prophesies. And we're going to just think about what do these words mean? Who is being spoken of? Because Luke just wants to show even more wonder and delight of the story of Jesus. So if we pick it up in verse 68, I'm going to read the first little chunk. It says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and he has redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation out of the house of his servant, David. Well, who is this horn of salvation? Well, first off, horn means king. Okay, that's what they mean in this in this passage. So it's a king of salvation and he's come out of the house of the line of David. Well, Luke gave it away earlier in chapter one, verse 27, where he said, Joseph, who's the father of Jesus, is a descendant of David. So we can place Jesus right in that family. But we can also go back further. And I think that's where Luke wants us to go back to the time of King David and where there's a story in 2 Samuel 7 where the prophet Nathan basically prophesies over David and he says one of your offspring will build my house where he will build God's house and because of that God will make his kingdom an everlasting kingdom and so suddenly Luke is saying that here Jesus is this horn of salvation. He is the one who will build the house of God. He is the one who God is going to make an everlasting kingdom for. And it gets better. You know, in that second line, it says that God came to his people and he redeemed them. Well, we know through the life of Jesus that God chose to do it through Jesus. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be redeemed? What do you think it means? I think this kind of analogy is helpful. If, if I were to buy a car, I might not be able to afford to buy all of the money I have. So I might put some money into it, and then I might borrow some. I might take a credit, some money on credit. And then maybe I come into some more money and I have the ability to pay off that credit, to pay off that loan. And so I redeem the value of the car. You see, that is what it means to be redeemed. But Jesus has done it differently. And Peter, the apostle, put it this way. In 1 Peter, um, 1 Peter 1.18, he said, For it is not by perishable things, it is not by silver or gold, or perhaps money in today's currency, that we were redeemed. No, it is by the blood of Christ that we have been redeemed from the empty ways of our life. What have you been redeemed from? What are these empty ways? Well, the Bible would talk about it in terms of sin. 
It's the stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with a perfect and holy God. God recognised that problem. And so he sent his son into the world to fix that problem. So when Jesus died on the cross, as Yen said on Friday, it was not only a sign that we are loved, but he was paying the price for our sin so that we would not have to. We are a rescued people. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ. What is our response to that? Well, I think maybe it's just to fix our eyes on Jesus, to recognise all that he has done for us and to constantly come back to him, to not get apathetic, to not rest on what he has once done, but to stay true, to give him our thanks, to seek his forgiveness and to go again, knowing that we are redeemed and rescued by him. We're going to move on to the second section now. So picking up on verses 72 to 75. I think we can read it like this. So Jesus, the horn of salvation, he will show mercy to our ancestors. He will remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear. Now, clearly the context, the story, you know, it speaks of Abraham. It speaks kind of to the story of Israel. But when Jesus came, he said that he came to save all. He told us to go make disciples of all nations. It's why Paul said that Jesus came for both male and female, whether slave or free, Jew and Gentile. We are all grafted in to God's family. So God is faithful to the end, to all of us. And right in the middle of that passage, we read that God made a holy covenant with Abraham, a holy covenant with his people. He promised to bless Abraham and his family, to watch and protect over them as they grow and they move out. We're part of that promise. God is faithful. Now, a promise is a, big, is a big deal. And this is a mega promise. This is a holy covenant promise. And I guess it's, it's probably most like a vow that you make on a wedding day. You know, trust is central to that vow. And if the trust is broken, if, if the covenant is broken, you have a problem. You know, when we look for a politician, we look for one who will say what he says or she says and deliver on the promise because that builds trust it builds confidence but if you don't deliver on the covenant you have a a separation a drifting apart because of that lack of trust and that's what happened with Israel they they broke the terms of their agreement with God hence they were exiled and found themselves again occupation but God never wavered he remained faithful throughout Now, I recognise that it can feel hard right now to know that God is a rescuer and that he is faithful. You know, it feels like we are in a valley and a valley filled with darkness and we do not know the way out. I was struck last week um, by some words by a theologian called Jürgen Moltmann. You know, he said, we find ourselves in the darkest valley. And God might not lead us out of that valley, but we can be assured that God will enter it with us. He will journey with us through that valley. I just thought that was a really interesting way to think about how God might journey with us. And it reminded me of Psalm 23, verse 4, 
which says, though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil for the Lord is with me. You know, the Lord is with us. You know, when it feels like we're in this valley, like coronavirus has gripped the world and it's hard to find the light, it's hard to find the hope. The Lord is with us. Yeah, a few years ago, uh, Lucy and I, we uh, departed this country, went off uh, to be missionaries in Peru. You know, the pictures behind tell a story. And it was on the way out that I suddenly realised that I was fearful. You know, we were on the plane and the turbulence started to kick in. And I just internally felt this sense of fear and panic and dread. And it was in that moment that I found myself turning to some words again in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures. And as the turbulence repeated itself again and again, the fear gripped me again and again. And so I said the words again and again. And where there was fear, peace filled. You know, and I just found myself feeling increasingly assured. You know, I wasn't going to turn the plane around. I wasn't going to not go to Peru. But I just learned to trust that the Lord went with me. And it was words I had to repeat again and again during that year. The Lord is with us. He might not extract us from the valley, but he is here in the here and now. And he is faithful to the end. We're now moving into the third sort of section of the story. And there's a change now. Zechariah has moved from talking about Jesus to talking about his son, John the Baptist. And he says this about him, doesn't he, from verses 76. He says he'll be the one to prepare the way for Jesus. He'll be a light shining in the darkness. He will lead God's people on the path of peace. That was John's calling. And in that um, scene, Jesus' baptism, where John baptises him, there's almost a transition, a passing on of the baton as Jesus becomes the great way maker. He becomes the one who says, I am the way to the Father. No one comes to him except through me. You know, and I believe that we are called to be way makers together, to be like John the Baptist. Now, if you're a part of our 10.30 or 6 p.m. service, You'll be very familiar with a song called Waymaker. And I'm going to risk singing a few lines from it. So I apologise in advance, but it goes a little bit like this. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. I'm probably going to regret that. But I hope, I hope you heard the words and I hope that the tune is stuck in your head now because I want to draw out a few of those words, starting with the idea that he is a way maker, that he is a light in the darkness. You know, we're talking about Jesus, but I believe that we step in to that call as well. Now, this is a strange time. And already I know many of you are doing this in incredible ways. You know, from befriending to loving your neighbour, from serving on the front line, whether heroically in the NHS, the shop floor, the post office, wherever you may be. You know, thank you for all that you are doing. And I think we need to think about how, you know, how we can be waymakers in this time, how we can shine brightly. 
Maybe it starts in the home. Maybe it's with your partner and your kids. Just how can you reflect Christ to them? And I know that's where I have to start. You know, I don't, I, I struggle sometimes this, just to be the kind, the generous, the loving Tim that I need to be. And then I think once we've done that, we need to look outside. Who is in our network? Who's around us? Who can we help and who can we bless? It's a way of being salt and light at this time. And I love the way that the youth and the students are using social media to share the good news, to share the story of Jesus. You know, this this time is opening up all kinds of opportunities. I think we have to be grateful for those. Clearly, this is a hard time too. But in the season that we're in, we just have to think creatively, creatively how we can use this time. The next words I want to draw out is that Jesus is the miracle worker and the promise keeper. You know, I've said that I'm not sure if God is going to extract us from the valley. He might not, but he also, he might. And we cannot lose hope. We have to keep praying, don't we, that God might move, that he might stop this virus because he can. He does not will suffering. No, he, he wills to love us and to be with us. And so we keep believing, we keep praying big prayers, both for each other, for this town and for this world. But how? How do we, how do we keep this hope? Well, you probably know the proverb, Proverb 3. It's a great place to go. Our paraphrase is start. It starts like this. You know, God says that we need to keep his commands. We need to hold on to his knowledge because it will help us to endure. And then it says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. I think that's what we have to do. It's a bit like, I guess, what I did in that example when I was overcome by fear and panic. I just drew on the words that were there. What is on your heart? What are you storing up that you can turn to in your time of need? Maybe that is a challenge for us. I want to share one final story. It's the story of the Thai cave uh, rescue. It took place about a year or possibly longer ago. These boys got stranded in this cave and had filled up with water. And the rescue required entering this cave system a kind of a mile or more down route. And it was a treacherous journey through deep and dark water with strong currents. And the first brave diver took a guide rope from the entrance to the end. And that rope basically remained a constant. It was the way that they didn't get lost. It was the way that stopped them from uh, falling adrift in the current. When times got hard, they just held on. They held on. When panic and fear set in, they held on. Because if they let go of the rope, they might have been lost. I think that rope is God's word. It's his scripture and it's his spirit. You know, we may find ourselves right now to be in a valley and we have to hold on to that rope. We cannot let go. We need to hold on to his truth and his promises, to his spirit that is with us, to the hope that he brings of life eternal, to know that we are loved and redeemed. We have that promise. We have that good news. And we need to find it, hold on to it and grip tightly. And when we find it, we need to share it with those around us because those around us may well be overcome by fear and lost in darkness. But we have light. We have good news. I truly believe it. So I want to finish this by reminding us, you know, God is our rescuer. God is faithful and we are called to be waymakers together.
Let that be our prayer today. Amen.